Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Leon, Leon Klaus. Looking forward to our conversation, Leon. Today. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me, Simon. It's great to be here. So as people will tell from uh, Leon's accent, we've got we've got we've finally got another Brit on the show. Uh, and so that makes you pretty special, Leon. But you're, you're even more special in the fact that you're the first guest I've ever met in person so leon and i leon and i met um at leeds train station last week not by accident right <laughs> it wasn't an accidental <laughs> meeting um uh, leon was up uh, here on uh, doing some work in a, at the university at leeds Beckett. um so i actually m- met a, re- a real you know like a real adoptee real face to face and after 360 odd episodes that that, that makes you really special. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm very honoured uh, and privileged for that. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it was great to meet you. Yeah. I, it was a very um, fortuitous thing because I picked up listening to your podcast that you may have a Yorkshire accent and there I was. Yeah. Uh, visiting Leeds uh in yeah, so that's uh, so no, it's um, great to see you on Zoom after that. Um, yeah. So um, one of the things that you said to me, so um, uh, Leon's uh, uh, an artist and, he, and it's, uh, you're a multidisciplinary. Yeah, that's right. right? So you work across different, uh, in different, what would, what would you call it? Different fields, different? Well, uh, I'd call it more transdisciplinary because right. I don't know, multidisciplinary suggests to me that I'm actually accomplished in any of those things. And I wouldn't All want right, to claim okay. that in the uh, part, Partly also because transdisciplinary to me means that um, uh, because certainly at this point in my early re-emerging career, I'm 53 and I started making um, artworks, as I called them, three and a half years ago. But I trained a long, long time ago in music. That was my um, degree back in like 1991. I finished that. Um, um, but be- because a lot of my work currently at the moment deals with uh, what I call lived grief, apart from a separate to lived trauma, um, I initially started calling it trauma. Um, is so so I'll use whatever medium is the right thing to kind of communicate the message or what I'm exploring. So it could be that storytelling uh, it was, the, was the way in that I looked at my family of origin story initially. Um, and with my queer grief or trauma, um, I grew up uh, gay during the time of AIDS as soon as that came out and, you know, gay men were pilloried and um, uh, despised quite quite a lot really so so I'm using music with that because I wrote music at the time kind of thing so that's a kind of very loose and not very watertight description of my <laughs> transdisciplinary we like that yeah let's keep it we like loose that. We like it. It, it, it gives you a certain freedom to, to yeah. go where you want to go and yeah. I actually wrote trans transdisciplinary down but then I didn't read it properly, and I and I, I said multidisciplinary. So there we are. Fine, it's, it's it, they're all just words. Really, all just words yeah. I make stuff, and I'm making it up as I go along. I think it's the yeah. general principle. That and that is what we're all doing, right? We're all yeah. making stuff as we go along, um, and yeah, uh, people are telling us that that's not the way to do it, or um, if we are, uh, you know, unsure of the next step, then. Um, don't worry because they've got the solution and if we spend time and mo- or money or both with them they will help us get to where we want to be you know um, but the truth is that we're all making it up all the all the time um so one of the things that you said you mentioned it just now and you mentioned it last week when we met at the um uh, the coffee shop um uh, was you don't use the word trauma anymore and I thought ah that's a really interesting place to start a conversation because in the adoptee world we're obsessed with trauma aren't we? Mm. and I think it's a wider um, obsession as well and having just said that you know I don't really mind if I'm called transdisciplinary or multidisciplinary and I don't really mind if people use capitals for my name and or not kind of thing write it all in lowercase kind of thing but I do think there is a thing about trauma 
uh, uh, that is like certain, that there are certain terms in our world that are overused quite a lot, and um, and so trauma has all kinds of meanings and therefore ends up meaning nothing. Uh, to my mind, you know, I mean, this is just my opinion, obviously. Uh, another word that I also do, which is quite relevant to me, is addiction as well, because everybody's addicted to something. Everybody's got had a trauma of some kind. And as Gabor Mate writes, trauma isn't the thing that happens to you, it's the wound it leaves behind and how that affects your present day. And so that's my kind of right rationale on that. And that's part of the academic practice research that I'm doing at the moment, which is about because I have... Uh, I was born into a family that was traumatized by my very birth. Um, and so I grew up in that or in the no not in the knowledge of who my father was. Um, and um, but, but I think the word trauma, if we overuse it too much, it's, it's, it's too overpowering a word. It's, it's, it's that it's in our presence. If it's, it sounds a very overwhelming thing that, you know, I'm suffering from trauma. Whereas if I use words like grief or pain or loss, to me, that situates these terrible things that happened. And I'm not denying that they weren't terrible, but, um, but I'd rather live or try and aim to live more in the present. Um, that, that, so I've been informed by my grief, but I'm not ruled by it. Um, that's very important for me, I think. Yeah. It, it, it is overused, the, definitely the trauma work mm. is. Um, and I don't know. And, and, I, and it's overused, and I totally agree, it, it's overused culturally in the, in the wider culture. It's not just the adoptee land. Um, it's not just adoptee land that uh, is kind of obsessed with it. Um, I, I, these days, I, I believe that the adoption, you know, a sector in the UK or, or uh, industry in in the US. Listen, when I speak to people in the in the US, and they hear that adoption doesn't cost money in the UK, mm. they are like, "What?" So we, you know, there are some court fees that uh, adoptive parents pay, but they they don't pay like uh, up to. I think the the figures I have heard or I saw on a, I saw on a, um, a price list. It, I mean the word it, I, I'm, I even use when it word priceless makes me really sick actually, <clears throat> um, because it was it was different prices for different skin colors, different yeah, wow. the different um, uh, different levels of uh, ability or disability. And um, and for me, this whole the price thing and the, the price thing that leads to tra trafficking um, and similarities to trafficking and uh, similarities to kind of like you've got price on your head. It sounds a bit like slavery, right? You know, um, in in the states, I I, I believe that ad, that adds another layer of. Um, uh, trauma. <laughs> it, it, adds, it, 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 it adds another layer of severe discomfort for for American for, for American adoptees that we are kind of um, that doesn't apply to us here. In, in oh, completely. Um, I mean, I went to America in two thousand and twelve, uh, and I was more than ably assisted by our mutual connection Joyce Maguire Pavo who's amazing I mean I love her book um the family of adoption that kind of had more impact on me I think than any other book in kind of um terms of adoption because it touched on my particular area which is kinship care um but it was a completely different world to me I had a I was awarded a Churchill fellowship which anybody can apply for and I visited eight states in six weeks uh and i you know i as a british person uh i had no idea of the politicization i don't know if that's the correct word for the that happens in america so one of the most intense weeks of my life or day you know series of days in my life was going to the conference in denver which was the aac i think the acronym is the american adoption congress um which is adoptee led and it was 
I, it was a very intense room because there's, you know, uh, for, you know, a lot of people who don't know their mothers, or in my case, my father, uh, in a in a room, and that was that was probably perhaps not as intense as the drama conference was last week for different reasons, but. Um, but it was, you know, through Joyce, actually, she was amazing because she was my entry to so many experts in America. Um, and uh, I had so many great conversations and meetings with, but it's a completely different world, as you say, because in uh, this country, I know I'm old enough that my social work records were not, I was not allowed to sit. They were written because I was born in 1970. I think I've got this right, but the, until 1975, social workers would be writing um, about somebody like me who was, uh, I was actually adopted by my, formally adopted by my grandparents, which is a really rare um, thing. But there were a few adoption notes, but I was never supposed to see them. And then of course the law changed in 1975. And then actually Data Protection Act recently actually allowed me the full um, unredacted uh, access to my records and I only had that in January 2021 so I did I and I I had requested my adoption records a few quite a few years before after my grandfather died um, so this was or maybe it was I can't remember but it was I wasn't given the full records so I do understand a little bit about the American experience because whilst my father's name wasn't revealed in it there was some pretty substantial um, evidence, I would say, that suggested what had actually happened within my family, that the, the secret as to who my father was had been um, hidden from me by my um, grandparents and mother, um, which is what the case was kind of thing. So, um, so I do kind of wonder, yeah, I could kind of see and I remember really vividly, like meeting quite a lot of um, Adoptees. I remember one man in particular, actually, at the AAC, who was just tortured because he knew he was never going to see his mother, uh, you know, or know who his mother was kind of thing. Uh, and I could relate to, and he was, you know, he, that, that I knew who my mother was. I grew up with her because she was my sister by adoption kind of thing was, was just, you could see him really kind of grappling with this. Um, but, um, you know, I experienced this to some degree because um, I, would ne was never to know who my father was and was never supposed to neither so yeah wow so um before you um before we started uh, recording um you said that you've been in um uh, you've been in recovery you've been uh, you've been sober for for mm. a long period of time for, for just for the last two years and you're saying uh, and I'm just putting that together with what you just said about getting your records in in 2021. Is that a yeah. is that is that a coincidence or? Yeah, that's really that's interesting actually. Oh, sorry, I, I I've actually got that wrong. It was 2022. I oh. got my final records in 2022, which was after. Um, but it is it does relate. The story does very much relate actually because, um, because my mother told me on her deathbed ten years ago. Um, that, um, that she was sexually assaulted by her uncle. So my great uncle, a schizophrenic man, was um, who I met once as a child. Um, I visited him in a, what we'd call a mental hospital at that time. In uh, and my grandparents took him because it was my mother's, my grandmother's younger brother. Um, but I was never supposed to know who, who he was, which you can understand coming from a village in 1970 in uh, the Midlands. The, uh, but I, I, it, it took a few years, but find having that last piece or that major part of me, half of me understanding that oh, I'm an inbred, <laughs> you know, is bit the, but, but, who, but it was better, I would say, knowing who my uncle are. Uh, that my great uncle was still my, was my father because it was this deep dark secret and obviously something awful had happened to this 14 year old girl to be giving birth at that time in a small village and it was obviously a big scandal and I dare say more people knew about my background than I did where which is which was pretty destructive I would say I mean I go to AA and there's a whole thing uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous where people say this is an illness this is something you're born with um, I don't think I entirely subscribe to that because everybody I've met in whatever form of recovery, 
um, you know, I've had addictions to drugs and food and sex and well, I mean, all of those things. I mean, they're all related to me and overwork and all kinds of things. But I, I, I think we, we are all affected by trauma in some way. So that's why um, I would dare say if you start scratching the surface uh, to anybody who's got um, who's got addictions. I mean, we've all got addictions, but it's harder to control them. I think if you have no sense of self or very discombobulated, very messed up sense of self like I had um, for a long time. Uh, and so it was kind of a relief when I got, I actually started getting sober in about when I was 48. And because I knew I had to, I also know people who are in their early fifties and they're like, I can't drink anymore. It's kind of, <laughs> just can't do it because physically it's tougher on you. Um, but I, I got into the AA fellowship on after my second relapse because I could see I was starting to get back into being a creative practitioner again, rather than just going to the pub and resenting people that I was raising money for, because that's what I did for about 25 years. Um, so I, so, but I got a lot out of going to um, AA fellowships and um, doing the big book and doing the steps and getting an AA sponsor. I really needed that kind of community and support. And I probably identified much more with um, other addicts and alcoholics um, than I did maybe other queer people when I was growing up or certainly the village where I was from and was bullied quite a lot and all of those kinds of things. So it, yeah, so I, I there is definitely a connection about not knowing who my father was. And um, I think that's been a really profound thing about me, my sense of self, my lack of identity, uh, my want to people please, wanting to fix things, fix people and make really poor judgments <laughs> on friends and relationships, you know what I mean? And so I'm still kind of learning how to do that now the grand old age of 53 you know so. so on your um on your youtube uh channel so yeah. there's there's links to uh, leon's um uh, website and all his social media channels in the in the show notes as always listeners um i i, I saw this and it kind of relates to what you just said um but i i, I really I, I loved its uh clarity and and also it's um yeah depth so this is um this is uh, underneath one of your uh, one of your videos on youtube and it's you say in healing and of hurting i repress because i repeat and forget because i repeat as when days of future past are present it is secrets that make us sick shame only dies on exposure and I just thought that was, especially the last bit. I got, I, 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 I got the last bit. The other stuff, I thought there's something here. I, I need to ask Leon uh, about. Right? <laughs> yeah, um, okay. I yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the uh, yeah, it's a, that was uh, the description I wrote because um, that must be for the film Nesting, uh, which. Um, was my final piece at last year. I was an associate artist at an art school in Margate, Open School East. It's a free MA. I was lucky enough to be one of the 14 selected for last year. So that was the film that was part of an installation. And nesting is the thing that addicts do when they surround themselves at the end of their addiction. So it's just the bottles, the chocolate, the the drugs, whatever, and you isolate yourself from the rest of the world. So the phrase is called nesting, which I'd found out about from a company called Vita Nova, because um, I'm part of the Addiction Recovery Arts Network. So I've been finding out about all these different things. That description then was actually for the programme, for the exhibition, uh, which we took place in June. And it's a combination, the repress and forget is actually a reference to, um, forgive my French accent here, Gilles Deleuze is um, difference and repetition. It's the English translation of it. And it's one of the key phrases I um, am kind of have latched onto and I explore through my practice research. So 
my supervisor, Dr. Cathy Sloan at University of West London, London College of Music, um, has been kind of introducing me to lots of things like queer performance theory and the French philosophers and things like that. And I'm particularly drawn to Deleuze's 1968 book, Difference and Repetition, because um, a lot of my work involves repetition, as does recovery. And also as an addict, you're always repeating the same act. You're banging your head against the wall because you're going out and drinking every night and having a terrible hangover and whatever. But, but also being in recovery is all about repetition. Before we were talking, I was saying about how, because I've been all over in different places, I struggle with that sometimes because it makes me eat a lot because uh, I'm not, um, I need a bit of regulation and safety. Days of Future Past is the X-Men. It's a comic I read. It's a film, actually. I've never seen the film, but I read it when I was 11 years old. And it really haunted me, that comic. And I remember my grandparents actually banned me from reading Marvel comics. I wasn't a DC fan. I was a Marvel comic superhero fan. And because that one gave me nightmares. Basically, the X-Men are all exterminated uh, in an all mutants or su uh, superheroes and supervillains, anybody with any special power, uh, it, there's a there's an incident that happens, and um, which which so Kitty Pride has to go back to the past to fix the future that's coming, and the dates even align to very significant moments in my own life. So things like I think in 1988 the Mutant Control Act was passed, which is when Section 28 was also passed which had a big effect on anybody who's particularly gay men because it ratified in law that it was abhorrent and wrong to be gay, which in many circles now that's considered absurd, but that's what Section 28 did. It prohibited any education about homosexuality. Uh, and then even more chillingly for me, 2013, which is the year that um, Kitty Pride goes from the X-Men back to um, uh, to the uh, present to, to, to fix things in 1981, which is when I would have been 11, is that um, that's the same year that my mother died and she told me who my father was on her deathbed. So, there's, there's, so I remember being frightened by this magazine, by this um, comic book, it, like absolutely terrified. It gave me nightmares, but actually it turned out in in certain ways. I mean, I've got a whole list of things and I think I'll probably do something with this comic at some future date because it has so many parallels for me personally. But the, the, the phrase secrets keep us sick and shame dies on exposure is two things from two t entirely different people who I know, well, one of them I know who's in recovery, who, who said to me that he'd spent a lot of money going to works in the city um, without revealing any different, spent a lot of money going into therapy and, but that was the one thing that the therapist um, gave him after spending thousands of pounds that he really hangs on to, that secrets keep us sick. That, you know, when as long as you hang on to secrets, which is what happened in my family of origin, it didn't just impact on me, it ruined my mother's life. Uh, I mean, my father was estranged, uh, but my mother actually carried multiple sclerosis for, since she was about 24. And, and shame dies on exposure, or maybe I've got this the wrong way around. Maybe it was the, anyway, but that was from actually from a tarot reader. I always follow on YouTube, a guy called Gregory Spot, who's, who's um, so, so they're, they're phrases from recovery rooms, those last two lines. Yeah. It's a very long explanation, but there was a lot of thought. That went there's, there's a lot there. Um, so uh, how has this, uh, how has uh, this, the, these realizations, right? Uh, how, how have they played out for you in your um, sobriety, for want of a better word? Well, the, a lot of people uh, in addiction recovery will say how, how you have to get used to being uncomfortable with things, because we tend to drink on things or, you know, take drugs to fill, both fill the void and also when we're dealing with difficult people, difficult situations, we're just going to get slaughtered. I mean, it's kind of, that's what people do. You know, it's self-medication, isn't it? So, um, they that's and, and that's what I now do through artistic practice so and I try to make to bore myself with these things or repeat them to death or or make them ordinary or satirize them or the, those kinds of things so that they don't have that traumatic hold 
on them anymore and that instead what I'm what I'm get to a point of is that um I can situate them as that that was that awful thing that happened to me when I was like 13 years old every day at school kind of thing sexual abuse in some cases you know what I mean but uh but, but it was but but at the same time it's like I can't let that rule me <laughs> You know, I, but I have, you know, you, and I certainly have. I mean, I was back in Staffordshire where I grew up um, only yesterday and um, I was getting a bus that was like my school route and it, all of those things that I was, and I'm also dealing with my, um, where my mother lived and about what's going to happen to that house because her part, she's died, but her partner has just moved into a care home. So uh, there's this place where I know so well and it doesn't have great associations it's where my brother who's died and he was a drug dealer and all the problems and the you know all the dramas that were going on in my family that all came out of this situation essentially of what happened to my mother when she was 14 because of what you know that's how everything kind of fell apart and secrets were a big part of that you know nobody was telling anybody the truth and so there was yeah so this the so but it was I was really glad to be on this bus and to be traveling and thinking I'm grown up now and I'm not, I'm not affected by somebody was talking about me behind me on the bus, but instead of being in this state of fear, which is what I would have been as a child and not knowing what, what these things about me kind of thing, I, I was like, Oh, well, it's just, just an irritating person who's got nothing better to do than make comments on me dropping some money on the bus and I was okay with it but that's probably the first time I've been able to be like that um uh and that's that's been one of those things about being in recovery because I can kind of deal with um I can deal with life better I mean and that's that's common for anybody I think who's um been addicted to anything and I was I'm not alone in this, but you know, I was drinking pretty heavily for like 30 years. So um, that's, that's a lot of unlearning to do with that or relearning about how to be and whatever, um, you know, rather than trying to mask it and cover those things up with um, booze or alcohol or weed or whatever, you know. Yeah. So um, the, I completely lost my train of thought there. Um, I was going to ask you a question about AA and um, and and how that had helped you. You know what? what how had how had because AA has quite a profound kind of spiritual mm. out to it, right? Yeah. And 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 what I'm meaning here, what I'm meaning here by spiritual is the essence of who we are. I mean, yeah. It, 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 we we are. We we ask we ask spirit, um, and that's really hard to explain because our our brains are made for things, mm. and spirit isn't a thing, right? Yeah. You know, like you can't you can't put it. Yeah, this this is this is one of the I think that was one of my early early kind of things about the primal wound. Mm. Well, the primal wound is made by um, a knife, right? A wound is made by a knife. But you can't cut air, right? It's a psychic knife, yeah. A psychic knife. Yeah. A psychic knife. Mm. So how has... I never thought about that one. Um, so I'm going to have to think about that one. Um, how has AA and sobriety helped you heal that psychic wound? Or mm. did, the, did the healing of the psychic wound come first and the sobriety came later? You know, can you unpack that for us? Yeah. I mean, I completely owe AA a lot, I really do. Um, I'm not that frequent an attendee at the moment. Um, and I'm also okay with that because I think I get out of creating and being okay with being with myself, which is something I couldn't be for years and years. 
that I live a pretty good life. Uh, and I think I'd done quite a lot of work on myself a long time before uh, I got to the point of sobriety or wanting to get sober. Uh, I kind of had to, to kind of live, you know. But AA's been, uh, there were two things really, because I'd been getting sober for since 2018, but I went into recovery rooms at the end of, uh, it was August 2021, actually. Where, and uh, and I completely followed the program, uh, and there are there, there are two things I would accredit um, AA for because uh, I definitely wanted to be sober. I don't I, there was no um, budging on that. I'd, I'd already life had already greatly improved by me being sober. I was even sober in lockdown for most of it, um, which most people find incredible. But um, but it was spirituality was one of them, and community. So having and I've made some really good friends who feel really close to kind of thing um and so that community of other people who'd you know understood that experience of what it's what it's like made me question all kinds of things about all my other relationships so i've lost a lot of friends that's quite common um i'm quite good at making them uh but i also really lacked boundaries so people think i'm their best friend i barely know them kind of thing but that was because coming out of my people pleasing thing so AA really taught me about how to sweep my side of the street and how to identify my role in things. Uh, and part of that for me was also just being able to go, I'm not accepting that. You know, this is like, these people are asking unreasonable demands on me, but then I'd laid the table so that they could do that. And the spirituality side of it, again, I mean, I was fairly, like I said to you over coffee, it was like, I was fairly woo-woo before I even got to AA rooms. I mean, I, I switched off Sky News um, in lockdown and started watching astrology and tarot and, uh, and because it was a, it was something I could control. Do you know what I mean? It was something, and, and of course, all of that is infused with the idea of spirit, the universe, God, goddess, whatever. Uh, so, so when I got to the AA rooms and we're doing the serenity prayer, I know a lot of people who enter recovery rooms really struggle with um, the the spirituality side of it. Um, but then I'd never, I didn't, I hadn't even really grown up in a particular faith, so I hadn't really been put off any. And also, it's not religious; it's spiritual. So the genius about what. Um, the bills wrote in the books is that it's God in the way that you understand him, uh, it, whatever. Uh, so, um, so yeah, so I was already fairly okay with the idea that there's a higher power because I, you know, look around for angel numbers all the time. So it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's quite tame, really, um, kind of having <laughs> to kind of follow 12 steps and, and believe that there is something because I'm looking for coincidences all the time. And I think you do that as a creative anyway. So, um, but I'm, I'm not in any way going to try and underplay. I mean, AA really was such a turning point in kind of me being able to help position myself in a way that I probably hadn't been able to before because of the information not being readily available to me until up until 10 years ago. But even finding out, I mean, obviously finding out something like I did about my own um, origins uh, is pretty heavy duty. So I, I kind of forgive myself that I drank heavier after that and, you know, was in a really quite destructive relationship with another alcoholic and do, do those kinds of things. I, you know, I got out in time, but it, it took a few years really to kind of start to, to let those things settle and kind of start to understand it. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned the serenity prep because um, uh, I'm in a few Facebook groups for adoptees and occasionally I'll post something and but not very often occasionally i'll comment on something um there was um uh so there's a podcaster um and uh, fellow podcaster and, and she's been on i've been on her podcast she's been on mine called melissa brunetti in um, on the west coast of the states and she put a post in a group yesterday saying what in your opinion do um adoptees need and and a big open question like that, the floodgates just opened. I think, I mean, I saw it, I think I saw that about six o'clock UK time. By this morning, there were 55 comments on it. Mm. And um, I put something which I can't, rem I can't remember exactly what I put. I think 
Yeah. I, 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 I really literally can't remember the first thing I put. But the I'm looking at it again this morning. What struck me in the 55 responses is how much, how many of those responses were external. So people, th- there were some genius or, you know, genius quick ones, right? What do adoptees need? Somebody put a home. And I thought, well, that's genius. And yeah, they've got a home, right? So they need a, maybe they need a safer. But a lot of them, uh, one was, um, one of them was to be heard. Mm. I thought, well, I've been trying to bend the world to my will for quite a long time. (laughs) And uh, you talked about repetition and banging the head against a brick wall, you know. I did that for a very long time, uh, and and when I real I, I and then I something happened for me, and I I realized that I had an insight. Right, something happened to me, and I realized, uh, like let's let's try another wall, right? And see, let's try a door this time, see if it opens, you know. Um, but this need, you know, to be heard, and I, and I thought, well, how much to be heardness do we need? You know, like it, it, that is that's an infinite, that's an infinite scale, and and we're we're relying on the external world to change, rather than looking what within. So as this kind of was flashing through my head this morning, I thought about that, and I and I'd forgotten that it was called the Serenity Path. But so that's what I put as my second, as as, as my second comment, um, my second comment, and I thought because h- hopefully that. My, and then I followed it up. I think, but by, by saying, "Look, I've done this, so I'm not. I'm not. I'm not wagging. I'm, I'm talking from experience of my own errors, rather than some place of you know I'm a blooming genius, and you know I've never done that. So there's some humility in that. But um, I wonder what you, you what you what you make of all that and this external stuff that we seem to need to change. I mean, the serenity prayer is genius. It just answers everything. You know, there are some things you control, you can control. And then there are other things you just can't. And that's where you let go and let God. That's where you pray for an answer. And sometimes you just have to go, I don't know what to do about this. And but our ego, our um, flesh bodies are the things that are will on these brains that we've developed with all the faults and all the things and all the scripts that we've had embedded in them for years and years and years will tell us that no this is what we're going to do and all that kind of thing and that is one of the and that was the bit I really couldn't get initially when I um, joined AA I would you know join it but you know when I um, started going to AA meetings um and then I was, I was, you work through the steps with your sponsor and I have a great sponsor who's 22 years sober and um, he was, you know, but I'm like, why, what is this? You know, you just let, you, you do, you kind of give it up to, I just couldn't understand the set, the, the thing of surrendering. And I went, so this, I think that's step three. I'm, I really should know them better off by heart and I don't, but, it, but it's the, um, but I remember kind of, because you do service, you're recommended to do service when you do AA. And I just did what I was told, which was a very good thing. And um, so I would be waiting outside. And I was like outside the city meeting. And um, I was like, what does it mean? Get out of your own way. I just couldn't understand it. Then I realized this was my home group and I've been going there for a long, long time. Well, um, you know, several months and whatever. And I was like, what, what's this getting out of your own way? And there was this huge articulated lorry on the uh which had never been there before it was like an early morning meeting it was just in front of me and so every time somebody walked past i had to get out of the way and then suddenly i just just i was honestly one of those moments where i'm pondering like i don't really get this about steps what is this getting out of your own way thing and there it was in front of me when there's something that's just so big in front of you that you just don't know the answer to it that's when instead of thinking we can solve it or we can fix it we can break it remake it all those kinds of things there are sometimes you just have to go this will just be and it will just work out and that to me is serenity 
And I think as adoptees, we're probably gonna have those similar tendencies that because so many things were out of our control, you know, that fundamental psychic wound of that attachment to our mother. I don't want to get hang on the word of attachment or things like that, but it was gone. And we had no control over that. So take you take that away and then we'll spend a good time of our lives trying to fix that in some way. I'm talking about we, I mean me, this kind of situation. I can't, can't really speak for anybody else. But but I think that's probably where we'll tend to, where I would tend to have those controlling tendencies and being able to just go, you know, sometimes, like for example, I've just had this long period with uh, the, the husband of my mother where he's just spiraled out of control. And I just, but being sober and having done the steps and having done all this work, I remained fairly calm about it, whereas it would have been such a bigger deal and it would have been a bigger drama and I'd have been really, I mean, it's not like I wasn't resentful and that I haven't moaned about it, all those kinds of things, but it's not been, a, it, I, I just knew that there would come to a point where it would get sorted and, you know, just, and I was able to remain rational and calm. And me probably about 10 years ago would have struggled to do that, I think. And that's that's where I can see the progress, not perfection, as we say in um, the recovery rooms. I think there's a lot of similarities. And obviously I come, actually one of the reasons I joined uh, or started going to AA meetings was a friend of mine who was already uh, attending AA meetings uh, had said to me that he, when I told him about this project I was doing about people who were brought up in kinship care, um, this friend of mine said, Oh, there's lots of people in the recovery rooms who were brought up by their grandparents. And I thought, oh, that'd be a good way to reach them. Not thinking that I was the, you yeah. know, I was also an alcoholic. I mean, this was I was drinking at, again at that time, kind of thing, and thinking I was okay. Uh, and funnily enough, a few months later, it's like, yeah, well, I'll go and meet them then because you know that's me too, kind of thing. So I'm sure that a lot of people um, who are adopted will struggle with things like. Um, addictions as well you know to to perhaps a more acute degree than um somebody who was brought up by their birth parents yeah i mean the, the statistics bear you out um and that's one of the reasons that we've gone that way in the um in, in our conversation today i um i but it, it's been a evolving kind of thing we didn't have a plan i i, I knew that we were going to start off with why don't you talk about trauma to but we've led we've led it where it needs to go um or it's gone where it's we, we've given up i've given up on it right i i didn't i didn't i i knew i had a starting point i didn't have a destination in mind but you know like the fact that the serenity prayer i put that on a facebook post this morning and that's a aa thing you know like it's there's a certain kind of um yeah somebody on our side yeah and i i don't believe in coincidences now i mean i think that there those kinds of things happen all the time that um you know you, you i didn't know that you'd written that in a comment quite truthfully so um you know i i, I do believe that the, you know that we, there is a kind of collective you know we 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 connect in in all kinds of ways and that um we meet the people we're supposed to meet at the time we're supposed to meet and I, it's also a thing of, you know, I, was grow, I grew up in an essentially very, very negative environment for reasons that were understandable. Yeah. Um, but then, so I've been attracting into, I was attracting into my life incredibly negative relationships because I was putting that out there and then getting it back, funnily enough. So part of my daily work is about having to change that. So, because my automatic default will be to criticize people or to and most heavily towards myself kind of thing but at least now i can kind of go oh that's that brain doing that again and actually you know when i'm criticizing criticizing somebody which more and more these days i'll do it just in my head rather than say it out loud i'm now able to go oh the reason i'm criticizing them is because i'm guilty of that myself do you know what i mean and there's a phrase in the recovery rooms that when you point the finger at one person you know when you're pointing the finger at somebody there's three fingers pointing back at you which is just yeah. so true you know so um but the, these minds we have are just terrible things i mean we really should try and you know 
quiets them as much as possible. Um, you know, uh, that's, a, that's that's the next interview. Um, what um, what uh, what else would you like to share that I've not uh, asked you about, Leon? Um, yeah, I mean, my particular angle on this is is kinship care because that's what I was grew up in. I didn't even know what kinship care was until I thought about applying to this um, the Churchill Fellowship uh, for to go to America. Uh, and it's a it's a different kind of you know obviously I did grow up with my family of origin and um, there are definitely advantages to that uh, I wouldn't try and compare myself to somebody who's care experienced and has gone from foster care to foster care uh, family I just can't imagine what that experience is like um, I, I think one of the things we tend to have because I have talked to a lot of people who were brought up by their grandparents or aunties, uncle, family, friends, or whatever, uh, is that there can be real tensions. Um, it's very because the grandparents can often be resentful of the daughter or the children, you know, who couldn't look after their kid. And then the, um, it seemed quite common that quite often the birth mothers were infantilized because their mothers stepped in. So there was always definitely a, a bit of a, a dynamic going on between grandparents and grand uh, grandparents and then you know their their children uh, who'd had children um but i do think as adoptees as kinship care adoptees um certainly in the uk we're only there there are a couple of there's a really good charity kinship they're doing amazing work but they focus on the grandparents and quite often those of us brought up in those family situations we're not known about or or our needs aren't kind of addressed or there's nothing nobody supporting us and we do go through the loss of you know and ha often have difficult relationships with our our pet birth parents if we know them well, well i mean we will know them in the mo most range because we build but is it but we we tend to i did see characteristics like we tend to really try and people please or we tend to overachieve um and this, people who were brought up in kinship care, I mean, you can, um, Bill Clinton and um, Obama were both, you know, and Russell Brand, um, so he used, did the comedy routine Nan Kids, which I borrowed for a project that I did. Um, you know, there's, we, we're quite achievers in lots of ways, but I think it's partly because we're overachievers because we're so anxious. <laughs> you know, we've got a lot to prove. And I think that's partly because of kind of a lack of understanding of, of ourselves, actually. That's kind of, um, I think, one of the things that's particular to children who have to be brought up by their grandparents. So yeah, that's the one thing I'd kind of mention, want to mention. I mean, I, I, what struck me at the start of the interview, and I didn't say it, it, it is that you, the environment, you talked about the environment was I think you used a master of understatement to me. It was like it was marin you were marinated in shame. That's okay. Yeah, I mean, and then really I turned out gay as well. I mean, you don't even, you can't even start on that one here. But it, you know, it during that time, which was particularly acute. You know, it's probably what uh, well, it's been often been compared now to what trans people are experienced by bigger, greater visibility. It was, that was definitely happening as well. But it was also very, very accepted. You know, we, there was no social media. There was just like newspapers, and um, so it was not only that I grew up in a, a village of a particular town. I was also quite obviously gay, and that was like, do you want to throw anything else more at me? I was a very depressed teenager, really. So I just have to pat myself on the back for kind of getting through it, and and but then you know, had all these experiences not happened to me, then I wouldn't have this perspective on life. I wouldn't be doing these things. I, I am very proud of the things that I've done and uh, the you know the work that I make and everything. I think I've got a lot of interesting things to say and do and and create. Uh, and I know that that's had a really positive effect on lots of people. They both who are you know kinship care adoptees and in other realms of my life as well. So um, are these these things make we make us what we are, don't they? So, you know, uh, it's nice. And there's also something nice about being my age and everything being new and me going into new things. And you, you know what I mean? It's kind of, you know, I've met artists who've been 
being artists since their 20s who are really jaded at my age. And I'm like this kind of bouncing, irritating bunny that's just, you know, <laughs> kind of, you know, got to, to be a bit Duracell. That's probably yeah. a very British um, reference, isn't uh, it? So, yeah, of a certain time, but yeah. Um, Duracell. Brilliant. Yeah, and, and you do, you the, the way that you do it, it, it is whether whether it's uh, interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary, it is fascinating the kind of the way you do it. And uh, the, the so I, I would encourage your listeners to check out the the the, the website, um, and uh, uh, because the way this this art has a has an ability to beat the bounces of the brain, you know, like, you know, and 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 get around you, sneak around those belief things, um, and. Uh, you know, goes. I'm going to do another ad, but you know, goes to the place that other beers can't reach. Can't do that. <laughs> Not very good taste, though, is it, Simon? Not very good taste, oh. no. Um, yeah, like my one. Uh, yeah, uh, so I came up with this a while ago. Uh, uh, what did it? What was it? Um, trauma is a uh, trauma is a toxic cocktail of uh, fear, insecurity, and shame. Um, but but we are the glass, not its contents. You know, um, and after I after I posted that, I thought, oh, that's not going to go down well with some people. You know, like, uh, but you know, it, it, it's um, the, the 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 metaphors to me and your metaphors of art. I mean, it's it's how we express this stuff. Isn't it? And fear is the is the number one thing that when you go through the whole thing of steps with with. Um, the, at AA is the thing that it always boils down to is that the alcoholic, the addict um, is struggling with fear. So that's, um, it's interesting that that's, you know, because fear is the opposite of love, isn't it? And, you know, and acceptance and uh, those kinds of things. And, and they're usually, fears are usually things that are created in our heads, not, they're not reality. That's, I suppose, actually going back to your earlier question, that's what I've really got out of being in AA. Mm. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Leon. It's been a fantastic conversation. Really enjoyed it. It's been an absolute pleasure, Simon. Really has. Yeah, yeah. It's good to meet you uh, again. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Thank you, listeners. We'll speak to you again very soon. Cheers. Bye.